This is African News Tonight on The Voice of America. Hello and welcome. Welcome to African News Tonight from the English to Africa service of The Voice of America, your source for Pan-African news and world developments. I'm Yehiyas Wuhib in Washington. Coming up on African News Tonight... Cause research has shown that breast milk, just like any other body fluids, carries Ebola virus in it. And if the baby breastfeeds on that milk, they will definitely contract the virus. That's Odira Nansamba, the public relations officer at the Ministry of Health in Uganda, advising mothers infected with Ebola to stop breastfeeding their babies. Details coming up also. U.S. President Joe Biden said the United States will meet its targets to cut carbon emissions by 2030. A senior official said the Ethiopian government forces now control most of the Tigray region. And Cameroon and the Central African Republic will combine forces to fight kidnappings. We'll have these stories and more on African News tonight. We start with a top story. Today at the COP27 summit in Egypt, U.S. President Joe Biden said new spending on clean energy initiatives have cemented America's commitment to fighting global warming. He pledged to provide $150 million in new funding to the president's emergency plan for adaptation and resilience to pay for projects to help African nations adapt to climate change. Here in Africa, home to many nations considered most vulnerable to climate change, food insecurity. Hunger follows four years of intense drought in the Horn of Africa. Meanwhile, the Niger River in West Africa, swollen, swollen because of more intense rainfall, is wreaking havoc on fishing and farming communities. In Nigeria, flooding has recently killed 600 people 1.3 million more are displaced. Seasonal livestock migration routes have been used for hundreds of years, are being altered, increasing the risk of conflict between herders and local farming communities. Biden stressed that climate policy was key to global security. The climate crisis is about human security, economic security, environmental security, national security, and the very life of the planet. And he said controlling emissions was essential for growth. We're proving that good climate policy is good economic policy. It's a strong foundation for durable, resilient, inclusive economic growth. It's driving progress in the private sector. It's driving progress around the world. He told summit delegates that Washington will meet its goal on reducing carbon emissions by 2030. For a look at other developments at the summit, editor Kate Poundawson spoke with VOA correspondent Heather Murdoch, who is covering COP27 from Istanbul. The Global Carbon Project issued a report and presented it at the UN Climate Conference that was very alarming. It said that there is a 50% chance that the Earth's temperature will will rise by 1.5 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels by the year 2030. Now, this number, this 1.5 degrees Celsius, is the benchmark for the highest uh, we want the temperature to go that was set in previous climate conferences in Paris in 2015, most notably. 
Um, we are not, as a globe, on track to meet this goal to limiting the, the climate change to 1.5 degrees Celsius. However, previously people hadn't thought it was going to be reached so fast. 2030, that would mean the amount of climate disasters we're experiencing would go up exponentially. There's, it's already at 1.1 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels, and we are already experiencing unprecedented floods, fires, storms, potentially famines, and droughts in every continent on earth. So 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2030 just highlights the urgency of everything else they're doing at the conference. Over the years, the Amazon has been a focus of climate activism. Uh, the, the, the Amazon, that forest is so vast that it is considered important for reducing the rise in, in global temperatures and helping suck up carbon emissions. I understand that there is a development there regarding COP27. Yes, that's true. The Amazon is the largest rainforest in the world and incredibly important to the, to the environment of the globe. And in recent years, Brazil, which most of the Amazon is part of Brazil, has been led by a climate skeptic. And recently, Brazil had elections. The new president-elect, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, most people call him Lula, is expected to arrive at COP27 on Monday and reintroduce Brazilian diplomat, uh, diplomacy to the climate change world. Um, they have been notably absent in recent years. So in recent years, it's also the in deforestation in the Amazon has increased by about 75% which is a, you know, a, a huge detriment to the entire world in terms of the quality of the air we're breathing in the long-term future. So Lula has promised to stop deforestation and put climate change activism and action on the top of his agenda. And uh, we'll see how far he's willing to go with his own country and globally uh, when he arrives at COP27 and speaks uh, publicly about it. That was VOA's cor uh, correspondent Heather Murdoch in Istanbul, where she was being followed, where she has been following the developments at COP27 in Egypt. She spoke with VOA's Kate Pondawson. For more on the summit, please check out at voaafrica.com and voanews.com, and tune in to your favorite VOA programs. U.S. President Biden raised the issue of human rights today when he met with Egyptian President Abdel Fattah al-Sisi during the COP27 summit. The White House said Biden raised the importance of human rights and respect for fundamental freedoms. Al-Sisi turned uh, in turn said his government has launched a national strategy for human rights and is keen to develop in that regard. The comments come after weeks of criticism about Egypt's human rights record and the run-up to the climate summit. One focus of rights activists is Egyptian pro-democracy activist Ala Abdel Fattah, who has, who has been on a hunger strike for months and on Sunday began to refuse water. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, French President Emmanuel Macron, and German Chancellor Olaf Scholz in Egypt for the COP27 summit have talked with Egyptian President El Sisi about Abdel Fattah.
Last month, a group of United Nations special rapporteurs joined human rights groups in criticizing what they called Egypt's sustained crackdown on activists and civil society groups. Hundreds of activist groups have signed a petition calling for the release of all Egyptian political detainees. Sarah Leigh Whitson, executive director of democracy for the Arab world, now is among those critical of Egypt's human rights record. She spoke with VOA senior analyst Mohamed El-Shanawi. Well, it's a reflection of the fact that Egypt is detaining thousands of political prisoners, subjecting them to brutal torture, an unbelievable number of deaths in custody, and has been doing so over the past decade since the coup in Egypt. The hosting of COP27 is an opportunity to draw international attention to the Egyptian government's heinous abuses. It's unavoidable. Uh, Charles Sheikh gathering British Prime Minister and French President and the German Councillor raised the activist case in their talks with President Sisi, but Egyptian Foreign Minister Samah Shukri declined to answer questions about Abdel Fattah and suggested some countries were using the issue to distract from climate commitments. Your reaction? Well, I think what's distracting from climate commitments is the fact that this conference is being held in a country which is responsible for some of the worst abuses. Egypt is home to a dictatorship. It is impossible uh, to focus on the important environmental issues and challenges that the whole world is changing and that we need everyone to work together on when the organizers chose to organize it in a country where it's very hard to look the other way and talk about climate and the environment when there's such heinous human abuses underway. The Foundation for Freedom of Thought and Expression and the Cairo Center for Human Rights Studies has said that the case of Ala Abdel Fattah is a living witness to the suffering of thousands of prisoners of conscience in Egypt for peacefully expressing their opinions. However, the Egyptian government claim that human rights situation in the country has been improving. I think that the Egyptian government's claims that the human rights situation is improving is funny. It would be funny if it wasn't so tragic, if it wasn't so insulting to the reality that now, while COP is underway, the Egyptian government is arresting activists, arresting the sister of Hala Abdel Fattah and charging her with absurd offenses. The Egyptian government is carrying out these abuses because it is a dictatorship with little popular support. I wish that the human rights situation were improving, but sadly, that's not the reality. That was Sarah Lee Whitson with Democracy for the Arab World Now, an international activist group. She spoke with my colleague Mohammed Al-Shanawi. The Egyptian government denies allegations of rights abuses and says all jailed activists committed crimes. Also, earlier this year, the government released dozens of detainees and announced plans for a national dialogue that will include opposition voices. A senior Ethiopian government official says federal government forces now control the majority of the country's northern Tigray region following the signing of a peace deal last month that calls for disarming rebel fighters. Fred Harter reports from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. Redwan Hussein, the national security advisor to Ethiopia's prime minister, said Friday that 70% of Tigray is under the control of the federal military. He also said that 35 trucks of food and three of medicine have reached the city of Shire in northwestern Tigray, which hosts large numbers of people displaced by the war in Tigray, adding that services are being reconnected. Aid is flowing like no other times, said Redwan. 
Spokespersons for the International Committee for the Red Cross and the World Food Programme were not able to immediately confirm Redwan's comments, which came as representatives from the federal government and Tigray met in Nairobi to discuss the implementation of a ceasefire deal struck in South Africa last week. Under the deal, federal forces will take control of Tigray's capital, airports and borders. The agreement also states that the Tigray rebel forces, estimated to number around 200,000, will disarm. In a statement to the AFP news agency, the Tigray rebels have denied Redwan's claim that the federal military now controls most of their region. On Thursday, the US State Department's Bureau for African Affairs said that Ethiopians in Tigray and the nearby Amhara and Afar regions need aid now. Quote, Redwan Hussein said in Nairobi that by week's end, humanitarian aid would flow unhindered as agreed in Pretoria, end quote, the Bureau said on Twitter, adding that it was waiting urgently for actions to respect and implement the agreement. Fred Harter for VOA News, Alice Araba, Ethiopia. You're to African News Tonight on The Voice of America. I'm Yehiyas in Washington. Defense ministers from Cameroon and the Central African Republic say they are deploying a joint force for their common border after at least 80 people were taken hostage over the past three months. The two ministers blame rebels fleeing military crackdowns in the car for increased crime on the border. Mokirwin Kinzeka reports from Yaoundé. Defense ministers from Cameroon and the Central African Republic, CAR, say ongoing rebel attacks rampant thefts and abductions for ransom add up to a serious situation for civilians on their country's common border. Several in the area have been abducted for ransom within the past three months. That includes about 80 cattle ranchers, farmers, and merchants taken hostage over the past three weeks. Families paid a total of $150,000 to the rebels to secure their relatives' freedom. Cameroon and the CAR say their militaries freed another 15 civilians from rebel camps on the border, but many are still held by the rebels. Adamu Abbas says he was freed by military raids on a bush area where he and several other people were being held hostage. He says rebels attacked his home and abducted three members of his family at about midnight on November 5. He says while in a bush on the border with the CAR, about 17 hostages, including women and children, were being tortured by rebels. Adamu says he told the rebels that he is poor and it was impossible for him to pay a ransom of about $20,000 to free himself, his wife and daughter. Adamu spoke on Cameroon State Broadcaster CRTV on Friday. He said three people sustained injuries in a crossfire between Cameroon government troops and rebels. The CAR said the rebels are escaping unrelenting attacks on their hideouts by troops of the United Nations peacekeeping force in the country known as MINUSCA. General Aga Robinson is one of the Cameroonian commanders fighting rebel incursions along the Central African state's northern border. He says each time Cameroon deploys troops on its side of the border, rebels escape with hostages to the CAR side. He says Cameroon and CAR have agreed to carry out joint military operations to free several dozen civilians who are still held hostage on both sides of the border. 
Aga said troops from the two countries will protect merchants, cattle ranchers and farmers who rebels attack to gain supplies. He said the joint force will also search for and seize weapons the rebels are hiding in border towns and villages. The CAR was represented at Friday's meeting by its Minister of National Defense in charge of reconstructing the army, Ramo Claude Birel, while Cameroon was represented by its Defense Minister Joseph Betty Asomu. This is not the first time officials have promised to help border communities dealing with rebel incursions to steal and kidnap for ransom. In June, senior security and state officials from the two countries agreed to jointly fight armed CAR rebels, they said, were fleeing intense fighting and infiltrating refugee camps in Cameroon. Civilians in border towns and villages say there have been isolated military incursions in bushes suspected to be rebel hideouts. Civilians say each time government troops leave, rebels return and torture people suspected of collaborating with the military. Cameroon and CAR defense ministers asked civilians to help by alerting local administrative authorities and government troops of the presence of rebels in border towns and villages. The defense ministers promised to protect civilians by creating more border military posts, but did not say where and when. Moki Edwin Kinzaka for VOA News, Yaoundé, Cameroon. A Nigerian communication expert says the media has the capacity to make democracy work in the country. She says the media has the right to ensure that politicians in the country embark on issue-based campaigns instead of character assassination. Stella Okunia uh, was Nigeria's first professor of mass communication. She spoke with reporter Mike Mbonye about the media's role in the upcoming 2023 election. You know, quite often we forget what the media can do for democracy. It is the media that should provide the information, authentic information, even education, voter education, voter registration, how to cast your votes. And the world will be looking up to the media to guide them our rights. But like I said in there, no other group of people, apart from media people, professionals, have the capacity to gather and package and disseminate the quality and quantity of information required to make democracy work. If we remove the media, democracy crumbles. We need to know this all the time. Sometimes we forget as media people. Nigeria's general election in 2023 is less than, is about six months from now. What role should the media play? And what are the facts and the, uh, you know, information that the media expects politicians to dish out during the election campaign. What's the media must insist on an issue-based election. When politicians are, are, are campaigning, the media must encourage them and if they don't want to be encouraged, to stop them from uh, 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 that is, not abiding by the issues. They shouldn't go down to the level of discussing personalities, abusing each other, character assassination, the media must call them to order. To address the issues, 
And in Nigeria today, there are so many issues, very burning issues. The media should make sure the politicians are addressing those issues, telling us what the issues are, how they will handle them, not attacking one another. That's a major, major point of the battle for the media. And then for the politicians and then issues that affect security, what is it that the media should also do during the during this election period? About what? Security? Uh, is security in the country oh. and the, the elections that will come up next year? You know, sometimes Nigerians or even outsiders forget how insecure this country is now. So unfortunate. And uh, the media should constantly put on the agenda what insecurity situation. Sometimes they say, oh, don't uh, report, don't be alarmist, don't tell us how bad it is, you're going to frighten us, you're going to scare away investors. But we need to know, to tell the people the truth. We cannot pretend that all is well. We may not be extreme or extravagant with information and, uh, and horrible, horrible um, data. But then we cannot make Nigerians complacent when there is danger lurking around the corner. We should alert our people, like the watchdog. We are. We should watch the environment, and when there is a danger, we should back. We should back, not simply just watching. And that's what the rule should be in democracy: alerting us to what is important, alerting us to what is dangerous, including security. So that at the end, those who want to be at the helm of affairs as political leaders will know what we expect of them to do. That was Stella Okunu, a professor of mass communication in Nigeria, speaking with reporter Mike Inbonier. In Uganda, mothers have been advised to stop breastfeeding their babies once they're test positive for Ebola and even after they have been cured of the disease. Experts say continued breastfeeding exposes the child to a high risk of contracting the virus. The suggestion comes as Uganda is battling to control the spread of the disease, which has claimed the lives of over 50 people so far. Catherine Nambi reports from Kampala. In a circular sent to all hospitals and Ebola treatment centers across the country, the Ministry of Health has advised infected mothers to stop breastfeeding their babies, given the high risk of transmission of the hemorrhagic fever. Odira Nansamba is the public relations officer at the Ministry of Health. She says the move to discourage Ebola-positive mothers from breastfeeding is meant to minimize the risk of mother-to-child transmission. Because research has shown that breast milk, just like any other body fluids, carries Ebola virus in it. And if the baby breastfeeds on that milk, they will definitely contract the virus. We therefore encourage mothers, when they test positive, to use alternative means of feeding their children and discontinue breastfeeding the babies. According to the World Health Organization, research has shown the long-term presence of the Ebola virus in breast milk even after the mother has been cured of the disease. Dr. George Opong is an officer with the WHO office in Uganda's Kulu district. He says there is not enough evidence on when it is safe to resume breastfeeding after a mother is cured of Ebola. They recommend instead that the mother not breastfeed the child at all. Because in body fluids, like in sperm, they're saying maybe for one year. So we always encourage total weaning. The WHO also recommends the infected mothers be separated from their babies at birth 
and be monitored for signs and symptoms of the virus for 21 days from the day of contact with the mother. The Ebola fatality rate among children is high at 55% compared to the overall case fatality rate of 40%. Out of the 53 confirmed Ebola deaths in Uganda, 18 are children. Uganda is battling an increase in Ebola cases and deaths. The outbreak was first declared on the 20th of September, but statistics indicate that to date, 136 cases have been confirmed. 63 have recovered, while over 2,000 contacts are being followed. This is Catherine Nambi for VOA News in Kampala. And that wraps up this edition of African News Tonight. I'm Yehiya Suhib in Washington. For all the latest developments on the continent 24-7, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of our producer, Mokbilia Baro, and our engineer, Zubair Al-Tayeb, thanks for choosing the Voice of America. <laughs>